What is up, designers, and welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. Um, man, I had a revelation over the last couple of days, you know, and it has a lot to do with, you know, people like you and I, the little guy. You know, we get on social media and we got businesses, business ideas, content, and we're pushing out this content to the world every single day, back to back to back to back to back, and we're trying to make this content, you know, we're trying to make this content a staple in the markets that we want to reach, okay? We throw out content and ideas and business ideas every day and we try to, you know, make the way it impacts people's lives as relevant and as efficient as possible. But often, a lot of people feel like the content and the ideas and the business ideas are just another business or just another piece of content or just another idea. And it perpetually gets lost in the noise of the world and oftentimes people in these positions like you and I we look up to the big guys we look up to people like Russell Brunson we look up to people like Tony Robbins people like Frank Curran people like Owen Cook whose ideas like they just pierce through the noise it's like they have a two, like a special frequency device that just pierces automatically through the noise and reaches the like everyone pays attention to them it just reaches the ears of their ideal customers and their target audience and everyone pays attention to them off the bat without like without any trouble at all and so as somebody who's throwing their content and their ideas and everything out into the world and you're looking up to these people that like their ideas and their noise, their voice just is so powerful, just pierces the noise and like gets right to the people. Oftentimes I feel like we look up to these people and we feel like we can become these people by like making our business better, like by marketing harder, branding. That's a big one. We have a lot of branding and business coaches out there, like structuring our business better. Branding as hard as possible, working tirelessly on our brand, working on our story, working on our content, working on our messages, and how often we distribu- distribute them. Like we feel like we can literally work our way to the position of somebody like a Tony Robbins or Russell Brunson or Frank Kern, someone who's just like an expert and a thought leader within the industry. And what I want to propose in this podcast episode, because I was reading a book by Peter Thiel called Zero to One, is that that actually isn't true. That actually isn't true. You can't brand your way to being a Tony Robbins. You can't work on your, like you can't focus on your metrics and try to increase them 1% by 1% by 1% every single day until the point where you become a Russell Brunson. It's not possible, okay? There is a method to do it, but all the methods and all the vehicles that we've chosen up to this point are wrong. And all the business coaches and, and marketing gurus and, and, and experts on social media, or branding or whatever it is, have probably lied to you your entire life about the ways in which you can become that type of person. And that's what that episode, this episode is all about today. So I want to talk about that in this episode. But even before I get to that, I want to say, man, I appreciate everybody who listens and supports this podcast. And uh, besides me getting on this podcast and talking to myself all day, I know you have opinions. I know you have questions, comments, concerns, and a voice that you probably want to share on podcasts and shows like this. You have stuff and individual, like individual like ideas that you want to say and share with the world and so i want to give everybody who listens to this podcast because i really do appreciate you and i have a i want to have a dialogue with you and not just myself i want to give you the opportunity to actually add your comments questions concerns into this podcast and into the upcoming summit like the upcoming summit is a special summit it's going to actually be shaped by your ideas your thoughts your questions your opinions your needs it's going to actually shape that summit so you know, without further ado, I'm going to tell you about how you can actually get your questions to be answered on that summit, how you can use your questions to shape 
the 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 modules and the questions that I ask on that summit. It's a free virtual summit, by the way, so everybody will be able to be able to attend. And how you can get your questions answered, and also the recordings of your voice and your questions put onto this podcast. Okay, so I want to answer that. Uh, I want to tell you about that um, before I start this podcast episode because I really do want to have open dialogue with you and go back and forth. Okay, and so I want to tell you about the summit first. The summit is called the Surviving the Cancel Summit. Um, I talk about it a little bit in this episode and previous episodes. It's happened on September 30th. It's a free virtual summit, and on the summit, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take 30 top podcasts, and I'm going to this, and I'm going to ask them this prompt. So because we all grow up like we're like little kids, and like. Even into early years, we have a, a ideas in our head, impacts that we want to bring on the world that we believe can change the world. But we don't know how to communicate it to the world, and we're scared to like somehow, like we're scared because not only do we not have the method, but we live in an era that is not celebrated to unleash our unpopular opinions that people don't understand onto the world. Okay, so the prompt of the summit is this: How in 30 days? I'm asking people who've actually done this. How in 90 days do you take your unpopular opinion and? structured in a way and put it out into the world in a way where it profitably become profitably becomes a popular opinion in 90 days and if you don't make it before the end of the 90 days you're canceled and your whole entire business and your ideology and your life just kind of falls apart okay so this summit is based on the idea that businesses is a tool meant to harvest capital and use that capital to push out ideologies to push out culture I like think about all the culture and ideas that you have in your head that your parents and people around you just don't know and don't accept, but that it could really change their mind if they know it. How do you take those ideas and in 90 days turn those unpopular opinions in this cancel culture era and turn them into popular opinions and push them out into the world in the form of a popular opinion and a mass movement that people follow and celebrate it? How do you push out that opinion in a way where it gathers people around and they celebrate it and it becomes like a mainstream staple in culture? Okay. So that's what the summit is all about. I'm asking 30 people who've actually done this. What is the process to do that in this cancel culture era? How do you not get canceled? Like, you know, it's going to be an insane summit. So it's a free virtual summit. Okay. Uh, and it's happening on September 30th. If you keep listening to this podcast in one of the future episodes, probably the next one, or the one after that, I'm actually going to drop the link to that summit. I'm going to tell you the link to that summit so you can attend. It's a free virtual summit. All you need is an email address to sign up for it. And it'll be a three, four day summit. Like I said, 30 of the top podcasters in their step-by-step guides of how you get your opinions and your ideas and the culture that's in your head that can change people's lives. How do you structure a vehicle, a business in a way that harvests capital and pushes that idea profitably out into the world in a way that makes a huge splash on society and culture at large? Okay. So now I told you about the uh, summit. It's called the Surviving the Cancel Summit because we're in cancel culture era and these unpopular opinions get canceled quite often. Um, think about when you want to start a business or a business idea or something like that. Your parents are trying to cancel, like, don't do that. Blah, 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 blah. People will hate on your business idea. They hate on you for sharing your opinions and all that. So surviving and cancel summit happened on September 30th. So what I was saying about that summit is that this summit is actually also, because there'll be a lot of breaks and half times and time in between each speaker, uh, it'll be also shaped by some of the questions, needs, and desires, comments, concerns that you have as a listener to this podcast, because I do appreciate you. And so... What I want to do is begin to, in, to begin to collect some of the questions that you have, even if it's just comments and concerns that we can address and talk about on the summit. Okay, maybe we even bring some of you on live, but I actually want recordings of your voices. So here's what I want to do. I have a website, and the domain for the website is www.memoirlaunch.com slash questions. Okay? www.memoir, like, like a memoir, like, a, like M-E-M-E. O-I-R, launch, like launching a rocket, memoirlaunch.com 
slash questions okay and here's the deal when you go to that uh, the URL that I just named www.memoirlaunch.com slash questions um, it's a little web page that I put up it'll be a little video on the web page explaining how you can work it but literally at the bottom of the web page it's this little widget okay and what you do with the widget is this you can click on a button and you can record your voice and ask questions and uh, when you finish asking the questions you can hit send and then send over your questions directly to me okay and so here's what I want you to do if you have any questions uh, about you know that you want to ask these podcasters on this summit particularly or just in general because some of these questions we're going to actually play the live recording of your question while I answer this question on this podcast and some will be played on the summit and it also helps shape the summit so we can actually help you out if you have some of the questions about some of the things I say on this podcast or some of the things that you want to learn about that you want to hear uh, regarding the topic of surviving the cancer or anything that comes to your mind that ha- you know has to do with this podcast I want you to go to that URL, www.memoirlaunch.com slash questions. Um, I also provide the link in the bio or the, the description of this podcast and these podcasts. Um, you can go to that website, go to the bottom of the page, hit the record button. I want you to introduce yourself. I want the, you know, the audience of this podcast and the people on the summit to actually hear you and know you and you know, like, like get to know you know the people that listen to this podcast. Yeah, I want you to introduce yourself. Um, maybe you can even shout out your business or your social media or something like that and then ask the question that you have about you know the prompt of the summit or about the information I share on this podcast and uh, all that cool stuff and I'll actually take some of those recordings and share them on the podcast and answer your question or share them on the summit during breaks or halftime and things like that it'll be super cool so www.memoirlaunch.com slash questions um yeah I would love to hear from y'all I would love to hear from y'all but other than that man without further ado I'm gonna play this podcast episode super 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 high level information builds on a lot of the stuff we talked in previous podcasts so go listen to those podcasts if you haven't heard of them this is gonna be some off-the-wall stuff that you probably never heard of um, I already got the idea for this podcast title it's called uh, monopolizing an idea like insane stuff so without further ado I want to ask you first to rate and review this podcast please that goes a long way and also subscribe but uh, without further ado, man, enjoy. I want to send you over to the theme music and let you listen to this uh, podcast once for all. I appreciate you so much. And uh, go and send in some questions so I can um, talk to y'all on interface with y'all and answer y'all questions and things like that other than just talking to myself. Appreciate you. This is Dallas, and this is the Grand Design Podcast. How do people like us, the visionaries, the creatives, real people with real ideas, people who don't have mass budgets, platforms, or teams, and people who live in this noisy world dominated by internet gurus, influencers, and big brands. The people attempting to make a dream on our own dollar. How do we get our ideas to pierce through all the noise in not only a massive, but a massively profitable way? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dallas, and this is Grand Design, the podcast about taking the ideas in your head, pushing them out into the world, and forming massive What is up, designers? It is a beautiful Friday night out in the city of Los Angeles. I'm walking around the parking garage. It's about 12 a.m. Uh, and man, I popped in on today's episode just to talk about there are a lot of people with businesses, business ideas, content that they're pushing out, that they're marketing on their internet back to back to back to back to back. And there's a lot of people within those positions that feel like 
because the internet has so many people doing the same thing, there are so many businesses and there's so much noise, a lot of people feel like they throw out their message and the things that they believe in and those things get lost in the noise of the internet, okay? And similarly, these people who are in this position, they look up to people that are like special, like they're different. Like there's a bunch of noise going on in the internet and there's a group of people that when they speak, their voice is just tuned to like a special frequency that just slices through the noise and goes right into the minds of their customers and everyone can hear them loud and clear. You know, there are people who are, you know, they're just different and they just cut through the noise and everyone listens to them. Everybody looks up to them as a thought leader, as an authority or an expert in whatever niche or whatever genre they pick. Okay. Maybe it's Tony Robbins. Like Tony Robbins just did the mastermind.com launch and he didn't just do it. Um, he actually is working on a different launch right now. I don't remember what it is, but I've seen it on Facebook uh, with him, Dean Graciosi, uh, Russell Brunson, um, and some other folk. Uh, but man, like they got like 28,000 people into that launch. You know, Tony Robbins, like he doesn't even do the whole online, like, online thing like that, but he just jumps in, does a launch, and everybody's just like, oh my God, Tony Robbins. You know, or he did the mastermind.com launch, and he made it to... Um, the two comma club award faster than anybody in history 15 minutes he made a million dollars him Dean Graziosi Russell Brunson and whoever else worked on that project the mastermind.com launch it's like a lot of people they hop on the internet and they just talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they feel like their message is just lost and drowned out and they look up to these people like Tony Robbins like Russell Brunson like um you know those people that are just special within their own given niche like Maybe it's like the pickup community, like people like Owen Cook, and people just listen to him, people just gravitate to him, people just hear them. And I feel like a lot of these people who are in this position, who are looking up to these people and they want to be like them, they feel like if they work really, really hard, if they build their teams, if they build their business models, if they focus on their metrics and get it better and better and better, if they just focus on their business and they focus on, this is one of the biggest ones, because you see a lot of coaches around this, particularly branding coaches. They focus on their branding and they just go all in on their branding back to back to back to back to back. A lot of these people feel like if they do these things that I just listed, that they can become the person whose voice just splits through the crowd and everyone hears them and everyone views them as an expert and everybody like, you know, gathers around them. And I'm making this uh, podcast episode right now because I don't think that that's necessarily true. And you might hear that and be like, what are you talking about? Who are you to say this? That's true. Who am I to say this? But this is not me. I'm just documenting some of the things I'm learning on the way to trying to become one of these people. This, this entire podcast is a documentary. It's a documentation, okay, of me learning things and sharing it with y'all. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I go and I research things and I bring it back to you. And that's actually one of the ideas of one of the most prominent entrepreneurs of all time named Peter Thiel. Or Peter Thiel, I don't know how his name is pronounced. Um, and those are the ideas that were shared with me through his book, Zero to One, which I recommend everybody read that book. If you don't know Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel has made, I think, at least $2 billion companies at this point. The first being PayPal and the second being, what is it called, Pantheon or something like that. Oh, Palantir. That's what it was, it's Palantir. Everybody knows PayPal, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows Palantir. Um, Besides me, I don't know exactly to a T if I'm being completely honest what Palantir does. I should probably look that up. But, you know, legendary entrepreneur, worked with Elon Musk on PayPal, and then everybody who was on the PayPal team and disbanded from PayPal also made a billion-dollar business. 
you know, just from the people who made PayPal. You know, Palantir came out of that billion dollar business. Obviously, Tesla, SpaceX, the Born Company, LinkedIn, YouTube. Yahoo, like all these companies came out of the team that built PayPal. So legendary entrepreneur from a legendary circle. Um, he got like a special name, like the Fearsome Five or something like that. That's not really what it is. It's not even close actually, but something like that. And that's one of the ideas in the book that changed my mind, you know, changed my, changed really my entire perspective on what it is that I was doing. Okay. And so I started out in the intro, like a lot of people, you know, I just got these ideas that I want to spread to the world and that I want to make impact with and I want people to hear and I want people to understand like they're burning me and I know that they can change people's lives and what happens to a lot of people who have ideas like that similar to what happened to me when I first started ghostwriting is that I got into ghostwriting and I started actually making a little bit of money from ghostwriting and then a lot of people arguing down there and then what happened from ghostwriting was that though I was making money I felt like the business wasn't it wasn't the vehicle for impact that I had dreamed it would be or that I wanted it to be. Okay, I feel like while it was making money, it was not spreading the impact and the message to the world that was closest to my heart that I originally started out wanting to spread. Okay, which resulted in me wondering how could I actually incorporate that message into this business, which that book talks a lot about. I feel like a lot of people, I know I'm, this is kind of a long way to say this, I feel like a lot of people start out in a place where they got a burning message, a burning desire, and either they go forth and they sacrifice that message for something that actually makes money but doesn't actually mean something. Um, or two, they go and they try to spread that message without that vehicle or even with that vehicle. And despite the fact that they're building their team and they're, you know, they're, they're working on their brand and they're, like, they're trying over and over again, making all this content and publishing, making videos, like what they're trying to spread, what they're actually trying to say beyond it all just kind of gets lost in the noise. Okay, they get lost in competition. You know, and they become like a, just another company, just another guy, just another expert, just another guru that no one actually listens to and no one actually pays attention to. And they're stuck on this treadmill running uh, and trying their hardest to be like these people at the top of the mountain. Okay. And they believe through these exercises of branding and, you know, building the business and working on the sales team and working on the sales process and the marketing and all that, they can become these people. But like I said, one of the most legendary entrepreneurs probably of all time, he believes that this isn't actually true, okay? And so I want to break down to you in this uh, this video, this podcast, what that actually means, okay? Uh, because like I said, I was in the same position, like, you know, running on that treadmill. I was making, like, even this, like, making podcasts. Um, I've tried so many different businesses throughout time. A beat producing business, social media marketing agency, uh, ghost writing. What else, man? Uh... And so many different business models just in a, like in the last span of the last years and all of them I just felt like even even things like people might try like business coaching and social media marketing like you just feel like you're just throwing your message out you're throwing the idea of your business out over and over and over and over again and you're stuck in that position like you were when you were a kid trying to explain life-changing ideas to your family it's like a wall between you and no one's listening and no one hear you hears you you're just not getting traction and you know so I've been there I remember like like floundering and trying to find my way through the dark um, and even gaining some success, but realizing that my message wasn't perpetuated through the vehicle that I was using. And I remember feeling like lost and, and, and kind of wondering how is it that I can incorporate or structure this idea in a way that actually gets my message out to people and actually changes and impacts the world in a visceral way. 
in a way that's special and unique that no one has ever done yet. And because no one has ever done yet, people see me as the go-to guy for that. I mean, that's an ongoing conversation. Like people, like uh, people have specific monikers or specific names that they go by. You know, like Russell, that's the funnel guy. Stephen Lawson, that's the offer guy. You know, uh, RSD Tyler, uh, Owen Cook, he's like the pickup guy. You know. Uh, Tony Robbins, he's like the, the the success coach like of the century, you know. Like they all have these different like different superhero identities, superhero names, and I'm like I'm trying to get to that position, but I'm just another one of them. I'm just another clone. Just another. Just it's that tag of just another. It's what I'm talking about, and so I'm struggling and, and trying to find my way, you know, to that position. Uh, because truthfully, even if you do make money, if you don't, I got this is my personal belief. I can't prove this or any type of way. I feel like even if you do make money, like, the money is not something that's going to satisfy you or make you happy without a meaning being attached to it, without a literal result that you can get for people, like a result that you align with being produced in the world. You know, I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to a friend of mine that has like a social media marketing PR company, and, you know, this person hopes that like one day he can even move on from the business opportunity that he's doing into a more massive and more globally recognized position that he can see the change and can see the happiness that he brings to people where he's on the shelves everywhere like he has uh something like to the level of like coca-cola or colgate and I, like i remember having a conversation with him and realizing like i feel like a lot of people deep down feel that way like a lot of people have these huge businesses like 200 million dollars a year and it's like yeah but like what have you done for people like what like what like what what is your footprint left on this world you're just another big business that just does that just provides the solution that you can get at any other business okay okay but let me kind of get to the idea that kind of i believe opened the pathway to to that position in my personal mind and so i'm reading this book zero to one which is all about this idea and i come across this chapter um let me find what the chapter is actually called uh on my kindle no it's on my audible the chapter should be actually right up right now it's called it's chapter seven follow the money okay and right into introduction of this chapter he introduces this idea called the power law okay and essentially what the power law in his own definition means is that it it doesn't mean it, it describes the nature of reality okay and according to Peter Thiel, and really according to life, if you really look at it, um, the nature of reality follows this power law, as he says. And the power law states this. A small minority of people will, also, will, will, will in all situations, yield a disproportionate amount of results. Okay? A small minority of people will yield a disproportionate amount of great results. Okay? And he was going back into even history with some of the stories that he was telling around this power of law. You know, if you go back, you know, some ancient philosopher or whatever, you know, he was in Italy and he realized that like 20% of the top wealthiest people in Italy own like 80% of the wealth or something like that. And that's obviously like a pattern that's followed in the world to this very day. Like 20% of the like 50, like the top 1%, 0.1% of people own more wealth than the body bottom 50% of people 50% of people a small minority gets disproportionate results 
okay and it even goes beyond that into like the natural world and this was something that shocked me because like it really is like a law of like the entire world and nature at large like i don't remember the philosopher name but the philosopher was talking about it within this story and he said that like he had like a garden of pea pods and like a minority of the pea pods like pods in his garden like he had like a hundred like pea pods or whatever and like only like five five out of that 100 was responsible for the majority of peas that were produced in his garden or something like that. It was a really insane story. Or like even in simpler terms, like, you know, the most destructive, the few most destructive earthquakes do more damage than all the other minority, like the minor earthquakes combined. Even though they are far greater in number, a small minority yields a disproportionate amount of results. Okay? And like, like that idea with like within that context... It doesn't mean much until you started like looking at like life at large. Like he goes further and further down a rabbit hole on this story and he talks about like in terms of investment because I believe he has an investment firm too that the same applies for like companies and and, and people and individuals. Okay? Cuz we're trying to weasel our way to the top and become a part of that minority, right? We want to be a part of the minority that yields disproportionate results. Okay? And so this is like this podcast, like I said, is about the path to that. So he has like an uh, investment firm, okay? But he, he criticizes within this chapter, not necessarily criticized, but he talks about the strategy of other investment firms. What an investment firm is, is, you know, they take businesses and they give them capital and they hope to get a return on capital. That's essentially what an investment firm. They give businesses money and they hope to get a return on money when that business is profitable, when that business is sold, or when that business, you know, becomes public or something like that super you know it's super complicated the way i'm saying it but it's not really complicated when you think about it and he said a lot of investment firms what they do their strategy for actually making money is that they you know they try to pick a, a spread of companies that will do moderately well like a bunch of companies that will do moderately moderately well and he says this is why a lot of investment firms fail because that's the wrong strategy because in reality, what happens is that a small minority will yield disproportionate results. And so he talks about one of his friends in their investment firm and how they followed that strategy of, um, you know, trying to invest in companies that uh, will give like will be mild, mildly successful. OK. And but they also invested in Facebook, but just by chance or something like that. And uh, Facebook itself because the minority will yield a disproportionate amount of results you know one a small minority will yield disproportionate results usually the case is that facebook and companies that become mega mega like unicorns and decacorns and multiple billion dollar companies usually what happen in, in investment firms is that one company like facebook yields more results than any of the other companies in the investment firm combined okay and while they're spending insane, insane, insane amounts of money on mildly successful companies like they would a Facebook, you know, only one company or two companies within an investment firm because a minority of anything will yield a disproportionate amount of results. Um, a lot of companies go under, like they lose a lot of money because these companies that return mild, mild results, they, they're, like, they're not enough to keep the company afloat. Like I know I'm not explaining this well, but you kind of got to listen to the chapter to kind of feel like exactly what I'm saying here. And so even in his own investment firm, you know, like, a, you know, he had a, like a whole entire spreadsheet of companies, but there were only two companies, uh, Facebook and his own Palantir, 
that they provide like both of them like performed higher like individually gave, gave a greater return than all of the companies within his um within his spreadsheet combined like it, like it's, it's insane like two companies or one company with an entire investment firm will be what keeps that entire investment firm afloat and everyone every single other one would just do so so every single one just like us like we're trying hard and trying hard we'll just get lost in the noise like we'll be mildly successful we won't be like the people who just cut through the noise and everybody can hear like a facebook like a palantir okay and he was explaining within this chapter that that's just kind of the law of the world and instead of you know trying to invest in a bunch of mildly successful companies if investment firms want to stay afloat what they should do is only select a few companies but all of which have the potential in their opinion to be a part of that mild, you know that minority that yields disproportionate results like only go after instagrams only go after facebook's only go after like uh, a palantir only go after tesla's only go after these rare companies that come about every so often he says that's a way like that's the like the like he says that that's what he would title as like the law of investing or uh angel investing or you know owning an investment firm only go after the companies who are in that minority that will just reveal ridiculous results okay and so essentially the idea that he brought together or sold together within this um chapter was kind of like the idea, like I said, the 80-20 rule. They kind of like the idea that, like Bruce Lee said, I think it was, he said, if I, if I want to put it in a familiar cliche, I don't fear the man who practices a thousand kicks one time. I fear the man who practiced one kick a thousand times. Okay? So, uh, I'm stumbling a, little, stumbling a little bit on my story, but Basically, the idea that Peter Thiel is trying to express in this entire book is that we live in a world of monopoly. Okay, we live in a world of monopoly. Usually, one entity dominates all of its category. Okay, and that's and that's just a rule of life, whether it's man-made life or natural life. I mean, even as a regional regional champion in wrestling, I really only knew one move that really got me most of like I really only knew one move well to be honest which was the ankle pick and the ankle pick helped me that sole move got me most of my results and most of my takedowns like I said I got probably one of the highest takedown records in the school's history just off of a single move I was literally one takedown specialist in MVP my senior year based off this one move one entity dominated an entire category category of takedowns or the category of you know, my wrestling offense was dominated dominated by one entity. And the same can be said about life. Okay? And so when you look at, you know, yourself and you're struggling, realize that you're in a category, right? In that category, you're struggling in that category because that category is already dominated by an entity. Okay? So in business, when... When, when this happens, when a, when a minority or when a single entity dominates a category, like let's say the category is like social media marketing companies. When an entity dominates a category uh, such as social media marketing or e-commerce or whatever it may be, what they call this is a category king. Okay? And why this is important to be mentioned is because for two reasons. One, category kings usually have monopolies. Okay? They have most of the market share 
and everybody else just kind of fights for the scraps. Like they got fight for like like category kings have like over half of the market share. They have a complete monopoly, and everybody else just really doesn't have much else to work with. They're you know a proper like a distant second or distant third or even a distant fourth. Okay, they're way behind. And two, history shows that category kings usually remain category kings. Category kings do not go under and they are not replaced historically. Okay? And so what I mean to say in this entire podcast episode is if you're somebody that's fighting and you're lost in the noise, you're probably like, you may feel like you can market and and, and, and brand and work hard on your company and your metrics and everything and begin to dominate that category. But truthfully, what's really going on is that your your category is probably monopolized and reigned by a category king. And the truth of the matter is that you'll never actually make it. You know, you can never actually overcome and overthrow a category king by competition, keyword competition. Um, and so you'll be limited if you're because of the vehicle that you're using. A lot of people think they can just work and work and work until their vehicle becomes like a mega successful, amazing vehicle. But you know they working and working and working and working and working and working. And truth of the matter is, they're going to be limited in their reach. They're going to be limited in the solutions they're able to provide to people. They're going to be limited in their purpose. They're going to be limited in their expression because category kings literally just don't go under. And it, like throughout history, this is literally a pattern that has. All the data supporting and no data going against almost okay so um so essentially I keep stopping this to kind of just gather my thoughts essentially what I'm saying is that if you're somebody who has a purpose who has a mission who has something that you want to express you want to share with the world uh, if you're in a market that has a category king that's sucking up all the market share um, and you continue to compete in that market you're gonna be pretty much your purpose and your ideas and things you want to share are kind of going to be strained and limited and stamped out and there's really essentially nothing that you can do about it um actually there's one thing that you can do about it which is what we're discussing but even like look at the world around you like if you don't believe that the power law is true like try to define something like find something like within your actual environment that actually defies what i'm talking about um this is something that completely blew my mind like that we live in a world of monopoly because like I just like I don't know. I just heard the idea and I thought it wasn't true. I'm like I'm th- I'm thinking of like all of these different examples of like fast food restaurants. Like I'm saying like they're pretty close. Like Wendy's is pretty close to McDonald's and you know and 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 Chipotle is pretty close to them and 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 <laughs> you know like Uber and Lyft like they're both really huge companies. But um, you know I actually did some research on the stats and the more you look it up, the more it'll astound you that a lot of the companies that you think are huge premium premium companies. Um, they're really not like there's like I said per category per market there is usually one big company and that company may have li- existed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and they've been sucking up the market share for hundreds of years and no one has been over you know been able to overthrow them like I'm gonna like look up the network net worth of like McDonald's net worth of McDonald's so see the net worth of McDonald's see McDonald's net worth is it estimated to be up to 163 billion dollars okay now let's see the net worth of something like wendy's uh no i said how much is the wendy's company worth 
Let's see. Okay, Wendy's net worth to 2060, 2020. Okay, uh, dang, they're really not even on this list. Okay, I'll find them, though. I'll find them. I'll find them. Don't worry. I can't really find them, bro. But okay, like, for I'm just going to read off uh, some of the other companies that are on this list until I freaking see it. But it'll be like McDonald's, the market cap of McDonald's, which is essentially like the net worth is 160 billion and then you have like chipotle chipotle is pretty huge right but their net worth is only 30 billion and then you go down i'm just going to what's recognizable like dominoes then they're like 60 16 billion and uh like you go down the list of these companies and the companies that are you know within their domain are still pretty big companies but they're, they're not really the one like they're not really at the top of the mountain i'm trying to find wendy's Oh, there we go. I believe it says Wendy's net worth is about $8.5 billion. This is a little old. This is a little old, but from 2017. But McDonald's was worth hundreds of million, billions in uh, 2017. So here we go. I believe McDonald's is under this. So by the time of this article, um, I don't know. McDonald's is worth a couple hundred billion. And Burger King is worth like $8.6 billion. Wendy's is worth $8 billion. Taco Bell is worth eight billion, and McDonald's is like a juggernaut. That's I know I went a little long-winded on that. It's like squeezing up all the market share. Like, like Nike is worth like what uh, thirty-five billion or something like that. Something like that. Some weird number. Wendy's is worth like a third of that. That's a Wendy's. And like Adidas, like well, you might think Adidas is a huge company, but Adidas is like worth a third of that. Like, think about like Google and Bing. Like, let me even look up the net worth of Google. Google is a trillion-dollar company. Google net worth. I'm at least I'm sure it is. No, it's not actually. Network uh, Google's market cap as of I don't know which year. Yeah, Google is the third US tech company that's worth a trillion dollars. How much is Bing worth? Bing worth. There you go, you got it right the first time. And Bing is almost worth oh this was in 2011. In 2015, Bing was worth uh Bing is worth about three billion, I guess, or something like that. How much is Bing worth in 2020? There we go. Uh, I don't know. I don't even think they have that number. Like, it's nowhere near a trillion dollars. Okay, <laughs> like, like <laughs> Google is worth hundreds of times what Bing is worth and what Yahoo is worth, and they're worth more like how Tesla is worth like all like more than I believe all these other automakers combined. And you were like. How does that like how does that happen? So you might be wondering, like, okay, so if I'm in a market, right, and I'm trying to express my ideas and get to the point where I'm like at the top of the mountain and there's a category king in my space, like how do I like you know, how do I actually like is it a possibility that I can I can actually get there? And uh and also you might be wondering, okay, well, we have throughout history like category kings who have monopolies on markets and they go down, but like they go under eventually. How is it that that process actually takes place? Okay, how is it that some other company eventually outsmarts them and gets to be at the top of the mountain? Because sure enough, if you look at history, like something like Blockbuster, um, it actually does happen. Okay, and the answer is that, you know, like I was reading in this book, Zero to One, uh, you gotta understand the true essence of capitalism itself. A lot of people think capitalism is about competition. Okay, and so that's what we do. We compete. 
So we jump into these markets that already have category kings and we try to compete and dethrone the category king. We try to make another PayPal or you know another uh, another car company or another movie company and we just compete and compete and compete and compete. And um, like it's, like I said, it's historically as historically shown how long has McDonald's been around, you know. How long has like all these different companies been around? And the tr- truth of the matter is like you can compete and compete and compete, and you can do all like you can do everything that you can. You can, you know, um, like Samsung and Apple. Like look at the difference between their worth. I don't even know what it is, but you can Google all this for yourself. A small minority has disproportionate amount of results, and we try to compete. We try to like, like hyper, like hyper analyze and hyper like adjust our metrics to get our companies as efficient as possible. We try to brand and brand and brand and market and market and market and get our sales team better and increase the price of our products. We try to change everything around. But like I said, historically, that is just not something that has has worked. Okay, because competition is not the point of capitalism. According to Peter Thiel and according to this book, the point of capitalism is actually creation. Okay, and so what creation means is instead of jumping into the market where there's already a category king, you become a category king in your own right by the creation of a new market, okay? So you jump into a market like let's say, uh, like uh, let's see, social media marketing, right? And there's already a category king. You, so you have two options at that point: you can compete and compete and compete and continue to lose and continue to be stifled in your imagination, your creativity, your ideas, and continue to feel like you're just adding to the noise. Or you can completely pivot and jump into an entirely, entirely new market. And so, what results when you jump into an entirely new market? Um, obviously, because you're the only person in that market. Uh, you own 100% of that market because you created it. That's the idea of creation. You create something entirely new and because you're the only one in that space, your market cap at that moment, your ownership over that market is 100%. By default, you're a category king. By default, you have monopoly in that space. Like Google, when it created the search market, I don't know what existed before the search market, maybe newspaper ads or something like that. You search in a newspaper, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Google, when it first created that market, owned 100% of that market, okay? So you see this big red ocean that has a category king sucking up all the resources of it, sucking up all the attention and all the fans. Like you might jump on on the internet and you might want to make a social media marketing company or you might want to sell courses online or you might want to make funnels and you jump into these, but, but everybody's already going to one person that they know and love. They're not willing to give the shot to the new and the little guy. But that's really not how the process works. What a lot of people, what a lot of, the reason a lot of companies succeed and become top of the line is because instead of jumping into the market that's already like occupied by a category king, they defeat the category king by looking for the next thing, the next new thing. Okay, so an example, a classic example that you probably heard me talk about multiple, multiple, multiple times on this podcast um, is like uh, the blockbuster situation because everybody always talks about the situation. Think about blockbuster, like a lot of people, what they do is they compete and they try to like have an old twist on a on like they try to put a new twist on an old idea they try to do the old idea slightly differently instead of going to a completely new idea altogether which is market creation and they can own that new space and therefore defeat the category king or which you're not really competing with that category king anymore you're just kind of in, like doing your own thing and you're sucking up the capital of an entirely new market and so like vhs and blockbuster blockbuster did like the plastic little square vhs movies if you're young you probably don't remember them which is kind of crazy at this point that people don't remember them but vhs was like these like i'm not gonna explain what a vhs is look it up we had like vcrs and you pop the plastic vhs in the VH- vcr okay and so what most people would do when they see blockbuster ruling the market and sucking up all that market capital is like, let's say you're Netflix, what they would do is they would just jump in the VHS business and they would try to build the best, most coolest VHS they could build. 
so they could complete with the blockbuster and I'm pretty sure a lot of companies probably tried and a lot of companies probably failed but Netflix instead of jumping into that market where a category king already exists they look for completely like the next thing what is the new idea that no one else is trying yet that no one like and that new idea was streaming and when they jumped in the streaming market what happened Netflix is a category king of the streaming market by default movie stream market Netflix is category Netflix is like one of the biggest media producers in the world okay like like ma completely massive like like they they are insane and like they have like like a big parasite taking over Hollywood or something like that like those monster movies you might see on TV War of the Worlds or whatever like they like sucking up all of Hollywood because of how huge they are because Netflix is a category king because it created a new market it created it went to the next new idea and it occupied it didn't compete on VH VHS it made a completely entirely new market and became a category king in its own right and therefore because it was the new and better thing the new thing and not a remix on our idea it was able to outcomplete blockbuster and the block the the blockbuster didn't die itself but the market it occupied collapsed taking it with it so what is the next new like think about it. and now that Netflix is a category king name the closest company that's like Netflix that <laughs> actually has a shot at like competing with Netflix name name what name one company that's actually competing with Netflix just one there's no such company name a single company that's actually competing with YouTube there are probably a lot of people who made Netflix's and made YouTube's and they're like trying to jump into their market right now but we've never even heard of these people because competition like capitalism doesn't work like that you can't like compete with the category king you like it doesn't work like you're gonna I don't know why like well the book breaks it down like <laughs> kind of perfectly but I'm not really going to get into that. It's not, not the type of episode, you know, and I'm going to botch what he said. So I recommend you get the book zero to one. I don't get paid to say that or anything, but it's just an amazing book. Um, yeah, there's no, like, we live in a world that follows the power law. A minority, one, a single entity usually dominate all of a conversation or all of a category. We live in a world of monopolies. And the only way to get, get to that height of people like Russell Brunson and Tony Robbins is to in essence you know make your own monopoly so you know a lot of people i know beating a dead horse a little bit here i'm going to transition to really why i wanted to start this podcast episode right here a super super insight exciting thought that i had a few days ago that i just wanted to bring to people i'm going to talk about that in just a second but a lot of people think any like any business model any vehicle can become the vehicle the business model and that's actually not true the only vehicles or business models that can do that are vehicles and business models that are based in entirely new markets all together you have to create a new market and have a vehicle based on that new market in order to actually survive in the game okay so this is this is the reason like i know you already heard all this information from me before probably maybe not it might be new to you but if it is check all the other podcast episodes i talk about literally the, the like the strategy that i've learned of creating new markets but um like like, th like this is something that's exciting okay so companies become the one they become the big company they become the category king because they have a monopoly over a market okay you, you follow me they have a monopoly over a market they own most of the market share of that market okay but why do they own most of the market share yeah, I guess it's kind of redundant but of that market okay and what I believe it traces back through this is kind of a little bit of my original ideas is that 
they have beyond anything the uh, like a monopoly over an idea itself okay you follow me like like i wish i had a better way to communicate this but category kings start because that company and the entities that run it the people that run it have a monopoly over an idea itself okay so in order to become a category king i believe i'm not an expert i'm a delivery driver okay but in order to become a not like like a monopoly a category king and to create a new market you have to create an idea that hasn't yet been created yet so think about it like this click funnels right if you don't know what click funnels is it's funnel create creating software it's a billion dollar company at this point ClickFunnels has a monopoly over softwares that like funnel creation softwares, you know, softwares where you make funnels. Okay, but why did ClickFunnels become that way? And I believe it's because Russell Brunson himself, the CEO of ClickFunnels, has a monopoly over the very idea of funnels. Like that's, that's like that's that's freaking insane to think about. Like he has an he has a monopoly over the idea of funnels. So what the heck does that mean? The way ideas are communicated is through stories. The way every every like everything in the world is stories and narratives. Okay? And like just like a company can own market share, let's say like he like he owns like let's say like stories or narratives that are based around funnels are like data. Okay? He owns most of that data. He owns most of that real estate. Okay, most of the narratives in the world that are based around funnels they all lead back like 99% of them lead back to Russell Brunson he has a monopoly over the very idea of funnels every time someone brings up the idea or speaks on the idea of funnels on the internet or anywhere in reality that story in some way shape or form leads back to or involves Russell Brunson if someone has made a funnel for their business or if someone has like a award-winning funnel, or someone has a super great funnel, or someone is talking about funnel funnels, or if somebody's teaching funnels, um, whatever it may be, chances are in that story where they're teaching or they're 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 being spoke about, like either the character in that, like Russell Brunson is likely, he is most likely a character somewhere in that story. You understand what I mean, like? Uh, like, like if you like if somebody like telling a story about somebody who made an award-winning funnel, a funnel that is making a lot of money, they know of Russell Brunson, they were coached by Russell Brunson, they were taught by Russell Brunson, they admittedly are competing against Russell Brunson. All like all the narratives in the world, most of the narratives, like he has a market, like a, a mass grasp on the market share of stories about funnels, like. If you speak, if you say anything about funnels, all roads lead back to Russell. He has a monopoly on the very idea itself. Same way McDonald's has a monopoly on the idea of drive through a, a freaking drive through, drive through, drive through, and get food. Whenever you think drive through, whenever most of the time when somebody's talking about drive through, a drive through, and get food on the face of this planet, McDonald's is related or mentioned or or. It's relative to that story in some way, shape, or form. They have a monot. It's like it's like it's like even art, even art. If you mention the idea of comedy, sixty percent of the narratives in comedy will lead back to Kevin Hart. 
or one of the past category kings of comedy. You know, even if you mention another comedian, a completely separate comedian, the roads that lead to that comedian, they merge somewhere along the lines with the roads that lead to Kevin Hart. The idea of comedy is synonymous with Kevin Hart, but he has ownership over the very idea. He's a monopoly over the idea. Like, I, like that's just freaking insane. Like, like even like to think about like if you mention electric vehicle. Any person that you can say, any idea that you can say, any advancement that you say, any future around it that you can say, leads back to Elon Musk. He will be part of the conversation in one way, shape, or form. And if you bring up a story or a narrative about it, he's probably a character somewhere in that story in one way, shape, or form. He's the arch nemesis. He's the good guy. He's the pioneer. He's the friend that's helping with it. He's the person where they got the idea from. He's the, he's the person that taught the protagonist. Like, he just, like, oh, man, like, that's just... Like he has a monopoly over freaking narrative, like all the narratives and a monopoly over the idea itself of electric vehicles. And therefore, he owns that idea and what spawns from him owns that market. And I know I, I might not be explaining this the best, but I don't know. I was just thinking the idea. So really what, what is most important, I think, is one, the creation of a new idea that is so new and drastically different from anything that we know and then the spreading of narratives around that idea to such an abundant degree that all those narratives lead back to us and therefore we gain a monopoly over the idea itself you know like if you can take an idea and bring a school of thought into the world okay because you're the originator of it and the starting point of it all literally is you and your mind and your genius. Um, literally everything that comes from it will involve you in any, how many conversations are gonna be had about this particular category that you invented that will involve you or lead back to you or you're a character in it in some way, shape or form. You own all the narratives of this idea because it all came from you. You know, you, like, I feel like that's what like we've been missing all along. You know, the people who jump online, they have business models that were taught to them by somebody else. You know, they have, and those business models are representative of ideas that someone else owns. Um, I don't know, like, I don't really have much else to say on that. Like, that's just like, like, even in terms of art, a lot of artists want to spread their music to the world and make it big, but they adopt like rap styles or singing styles or songwriting styles or production styles that other people have made up and so they cannot have a monopoly over the idea and they, therefore they can't become a big name you know what I'm saying like uh, like think about any like freaking really big and renowned A-list person they even have monopoly like in Hollywood they have monopolies over particular personalities you know it's so and so this A-list celebrity is the slave master in every movie and this one is the funny black dude and this one is like like think about Kanye West he has a monopoly over the idea of chipmunk soul is what they call it when he chopped the samples and it got the high pitch on it he has a monopoly over that very idea and so every song people are like oh that's Kanye oh, that's Kanye even if he has nothing to do with it you see what I'm saying like uh like Drake you know and this 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 is something that happens a lot um like for example like uh What's his name? Kanye made uh, 808s and Heartbreaks, okay? And it was kind of like this sing rap kind of thing. And then Drake comes 
and he does the sing rap kind of thing on Take Care and he becomes the category king of the sing rap style even though it all still everybody say oh Kanye inspired the generation Kanye inspired the generation he doesn't get credit for that people be like or people wonder often like why, why does like like how does a category king not create an idea and still monopolize it like why if Facebook wasn't the first social media market like social media company why did they have monopoly over it if MySpace existed before and I really think that really comes down to also like the chicken or the egg kind of debate like what came first the chicken or the egg you know what I'm saying and um it's like what had came before that though it was very close to the idea of a social media media platform it wasn't quite that it wasn't really functionally that yet you know or you didn't change the narrative or the idea around it to solidify what that that which it was like a lot of people before Apple had ever invented the iPad made like uh, I think I was hearing this is zero to one two made like a uh, touch like literally like touch tablet they made tablets okay but what they did was call it like a keyboardless computer or something like that and so just by the way you positioned that idea it was lumped into the market of computers and it never popped so even more so than building something very new you have to create a new idea like that's very important like you have to position it in a way that is creating of a new idea you know it would be very very easy to like for like like eating for example like like ketosis or something like that uh, or intermittent intermittent fasting uh, you can just call intermittent fasting dieting like it's just like you can just call it regular dieting or something like that but it doesn't become a category or a new market on its own until you preface it as such like you gotta you gotta take and create a new idea of the new thing that you just did so you gotta say like this is intermittent fasting it's completely different from this thing over here like like you have to contrast it to something is what I'm saying like um click funnels if Russell Bunch when it came out even though click funnels is clearly different he said hey I got this website builder instantly because of perception he's in competition with the webs like you know the category king of the website space which is, you know, for something like I mentioned in past podcast episodes, he struggled with that for a long time. He couldn't find the message for ClickFunnels' billion-dollar company, and so he tried to sell it over and over and over and over again with different webinars, and it wasn't until he contrasted it and said, this is the death of websites, this is completely new, websites suck, and these are funnels. That's when the idea began to sell and began to pop, and that's when the ClickFunnels company just took off. So not only is it like the creation of a new market or a new technology it's the 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 referencing of it as a completely new idea that you now own okay like i don't know i feel like that's such a such a such a such a big thing like you don't want to go up on a platform like bernie sanders and say this is democratic socialism because that idea though it's not socialism has ties back to the market of socialism Okay, and the category king of the market of socialism is socialism, and people don't want socialism. So they, like, it, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just like you got to create an entirely new name, entirely to, I don't know, man. This is just like off the wall podcast episode. I know I'm kind of like going on and on and on, but I'm just like, but back to the Facebook story, like MySpace. Like, I feel like you know, like it's like the chicken or the egg conversation. Like, at what point does this evolving creature become a chicken? Okay, at what point does it become a chicken? And I feel like that's kind of the debate that's being had here like MySpace is like a skateboard with two wheels like it has a wheel in the front and a wheel in the back and you got to balance on it 
you know, it's not necessarily perfected and the idea behind it is not necessarily solidified as a new idea or a new lane. And so people don't understand, understand it. People aren't reacting to it the way you want. But then Mark Zuckerberg comes along, he puts the other two wheels on it and he says, hmm, this isn't a scooter. This is a, a handleless scooter. This is a skateboard. And in that moment, he created that idea. And in that moment, he has monopoly over the idea. And it just goes on and on and on from there. Like, I don't know, like, literally, like, I'm just, I'm just like throwing, throwing messages out right here. I mean, just throwing ideas out right here. Just throwing things that will hope you understand. Literally, the only reason I made this podcast episode, because it's all about, I believe everything in this world you know, breaking through the noise and making a potent message that people understand, that people gravitate towards is about the monopoly of an idea itself. What idea can people think of and your name instantly comes up? Okay, like I said, the book Zero to One probably explains it a million, a million times better than me. But, uh, you know, there it is. There you go. It's the idea that <laughs> you have to own an idea. Um... Like Kanye West and Drake. Drake came to take care, the singing rap kind of thing, and he took ownership of the idea. He added the last two wheels to the skateboard. He added the final touches that made it something different. Um, he made a whole style and a whole career off of it, whereas 808s and Heartbreaks didn't do that. Um, and it goes on and on and on. Action movie star. The Rock has a monopoly over that very idea. Like, And they're probably not looking for any other actor when they make a movie like this because the first person that comes to your mind is The Rock. When you think of a smartphone, the first thing that comes to your mind is Apple and Steve Jobs. They have monopolies over that very idea of smart of this device that we're looking at, um, and because they have a very like a monopoly over that very idea, the technology they make and the companies that they make around that idea has a monopoly on the category that they created itself. Um, like I said, man, I'm just going on and on and on at this point. So, and I'm kind of like running out of ways to say the same thing. And so I'm going to cut this episode short, but I appreciate everybody for listening. This is Dallas, your host, co-host with my boy Rashad from The Grand Design. And man, I, I enjoy talking to you all every night. It's just kind of like unraveling my ideas and the things that I have in my head onto this podcast so that everybody can hear it. Even if it's a lot of blunders, even if it's a lot of mistakes, even if it's a lot of reiterating, even if it's a lot of silliness, like... Literally, the process of this ca- uh, podcast is you're going to see throughout this next couple of weeks, particularly with the summit on Sept- uh, September 30th, because it's a lot about this. How do you create and monopolize an idea? Uh, you're going to see the monopolization of an idea that represents my company. <laughs> you're going to see something ex- like extremely crazy. Like you're going to see me implementing all this stuff. And so I do want to say, man, I enjoyed the time with you. I love you all for coming along with me and, and hearing me out. But um, if you enjoy this podcast, rate and review and subscribe, but more particularly rate and review, or more importantly, I believe, I mean, rate and review, because that really helps the podcast gets gets boosted up. Uh, Once you subscribe, sorry, that was a little loud, Um, attend the summit. I'm going to have information about the summit in probably the podcast bio by the time somebody sees this. Um, it's called the Surviving Cancer Summit. I'm going to release a little, another episode about the details and that. You can attend the summit to understand. The summit is literally about if you're like a child, like since you were a child and even now you have these burning ideas in, inside of you, but you're scared to release these pop, unpopular opinions because people won't understand it. So how do you, in 30 days, take that unpopular opinion and make it a popular opinion 
and monopolize that idea. That's essentially what this entire summit is about. So I recommend you looking up for the next couple podcast episodes. We're gonna tell more information about the summit. It's happening on September 30th. So please mark your calendars for that because it's gonna be super crazy and super explosive and it's gonna be literally like everything, like not like this episode right here, but everything like refined into the point of how you create like a monopoly over your idea and push it down to society in a way where it thrives and survives and becomes something that's very beautiful. We're getting 30 top podcasters to come and talk about how they would do it because they have domains, they have businesses, they have ideas that they rule over to this very day. So, um, yeah, go and look out for that summit. Um, what the hell else was I going to say? There's one more thing that I wanted to say. Oh, and also, by the way, I'm going to also put another link in the description. If I remember, or maybe on the next episode, I'll start putting that link in. Um, I want to hear what you all have to say. Okay, and so I'll put a link in that description to where you can click the link and act like it'll be like a recording device on the website you go to. And you can literally ask questions and I'll uh, incorporate the questions in the podcast episodes so that, you know, you can kind of like hear your question answered and hear like, it's so I can hear what y'all been thinking instead of just talking to myself with his microphone the entire time. And so without further ado, I'm walking up the slide of stairs. I'm kind of tired. Um... Peace out, man. I appreciate y'all listening. True or false designers, ghostwriters in the modern era are completely outdated and no one should ever use a ghostwriter again. Okay, now look, I understand everyone wants to write a book because it is the most effective way to build tribe and community around your central ideas in a profitable way. I understand that. It is the best way to push your ideas out into the world in the form of mass movements. And this is throughout history. Think of the Communist Manifesto. <clears throat> Think of the Bible. Think of Mein Kampf. You know, every time you see an entrepreneur, ask him, how did he get started? He'll say, rich dad, poor dad. You know, he'll say, think and grow rich. The best way to induct people into your tribe is through a book. And there is no denying that. But a lot of people, they turn to ghostwriters because there is a gap between the ideas in their head and the words on paper. And that gap is filled with obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And I understand that. These are some of the things that I've experienced. Tell me if this is familiar for you. Man, writing my first book, it was just like a soup of ideas in my head and I didn't know where to start. Is that something you've experienced? Like it's like ideas floating around and you don't really know how to structure it. Is that something that you've been through? Like, where do I even put this in this chapter? Da, 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 da. And then all these blogs, they make a freaking outline. No one wants to make a freaking outline. You know, I could spend that valuable time I spent making an outline actually writing the book. How about that? Another thing is time. No one has the freaking time to write a real book. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, you have business to take care of or, or a work to go to or family or actually life to enjoy that's not sitting at a freaking laptop you know well no one wants to spend 365 days of the year their entire summer sitting there two three hours a day crunching in words on a freaking laptop it's completely redundant it's ridiculous you know um that's just even daunting to think about three four five six seven eight nine months to put a book together in one that you're not even sure how to publish or market yet it's an insane amount of work for nothing. And another reason is that some people just might not be good 
at writing. Just simple and flat out. Is that something that you've experienced? Like, think about it. Like, sometimes writing is just freaking hard and not everybody was born a writer. No one's born. And so for these reasons, for these reasons, people turn to these writing coaches and these ghost writers, but, and this is coming from the position of a former ghost writer who's ghost written for people with businesses. Okay. Uh, they never really get what they're asking for. And the reason for that is this, and tell me if you've experienced this, like, also, have you worked with a ghostwriter and they've given you something back and you're just like, eh, well, there's like 100% of my clients probably have felt that way through our history. And the reason is because ghostwriting is like playing a game of telephone. You know, when you tell somebody a phrase and then you tell another person, you tell another person, and by the time you get back to the line, you probably played play this in high school, by the time you get to the back, you know, the last person, they say the phrase and it's something completely different. When you pass your ideas through the mind of another human being, those ideas will not come out their mind or come out there in their writing without being tainted by their own mind. It's like telling a painter to paint your girlfriend and giving them like descriptions and things like that. Um, not really going to work out. You'll probably still accept it like, eh, this is the best we can get with the system that we're using, but it's not going to be the product that you actually ask for because it's coming through his perception. And because of that, ghostwriters are flawed. And I say this and I admit this as a ghostwriter. But I have good news for you. We're not living in the 1800s anymore where we need scribes. <laughs> you know, we don't, ghostwriters should never be used by anyone on this face of this planet after this year. You know, you know? so I have a solution for you. This is the way that we do it at Memoir Launch. Think of your book, whatever your book might be, however big it might be, I don't care if your book is 500 pages long. That's a big, time-consuming, expensive, and complex thing. And on top of that, ghostwriters like to cost 25 grand for the subpar work they do, okay? Think about your book, 500 pages is a massive, complex thing, right? Now, I, I like to be challenging, so I believe we can get your book done from cover to cover for way less expensive than a ghostwriter. And exactly in your voice, crystal clear, 100% satisfaction, in a span of seven days or less. Now, you might be like, uh, that's kind of impossible. No, it isn't. We don't live in the 1900s anymore. We live in the future. And so how do we do that at Memoir Launch? The way we do that, just to keep it simple and not too complex, we rely on voice writing technology. We rely on you know machine learning, artificial intelligence to take that gap between the ideas in your head in actual text and shrink it. Like we like we crush it into a span of seven days through new technology and methods. Let me explain to you how this process kind of works. You have these soup of ideas in your head and you don't know how to organize anything from anything. We get a little specialized team for you, maybe one or two people, and we do an interview series with you to bounce back and forth and kind of organize your ideas in a way that's actually like, uh, it reads well, one, and step two, it's actually effective because a lot of books you put them out into the world and they're like no one cares about them it's like you know they're not effective because those are books a book is like a letter what we write for you is called a sales memoir i'm not trying to get too complicated so i'm going to just completely explain this very briefly a book is like a letter a sales memoir is like a sales letter sales memoirs are the books that indoctrinate your audience and makes them join your tribe by default books like, like, like I said, Dotcom Secrets. You read Dotcom Secrets by Russell Brunson, you will become a funnel hacker. 
because it's structured in that way. Most people write, read the Bible, they will become a Christian. Most people in the 1940s, they read the Communist Manifesto because of the way the ideas in the book were structured and you will become a communist. But how, it is, how is it that we structure our ideas in a way that reads well and place them in a book in a way that also indoctrinates? So that's step one. It's a small little interview series. You know, you kind of just talk about everything that you like. <laughs> you know, you, whatever you rant about on a daily basis, you just rant to us. A lot of people describe this process as therapeutic or whatever. And after we do that entire process, we take the audio and all we do, no matter if your book is 200, 300, 400 pages long, we just feed it to the AI. And immediately it pops out something that does not require a bunch of freaking editing from a freaking expensive editor, because these editors are ridiculously priced. It doesn't require a $25,000 ghostwriter. It doesn't require any of that. So what happens after that? Well, you get your manuscript first and foremost, and then second, that same team comes along with you in the third phase of the process, we publish the book for you, and then we begin to work on a little marketing campaign to actually get that idea in your head out into the world in a form of a mass movement, okay? Like all the thought leaders in the modern world has. How Tony Robbins has a book, how Russell Brunson has a book, how Frank Curran, everyone has a book. And it's following the same strategy and process they has. They have. Now, you might be thinking, this is too good to be true. Uh, <laughs> you know, go see for yourself. You know, if you're interested in this process, if you're interested in being part of the memoir launch beta, and it is in beta, and because it's in beta, you're getting a very, very, very one-time extreme discount. But if you want to be part of this beta and potentially get your book done, because it depends on your schedule also, in seven days flat, perfectly in your voice, and deliver it to your house in a hard copy and published, then just click the link in the bio below of any of these podcast episodes. It'll be a link to like a website where you can join the waiting list. And when Memoir Launch is ready to launch, we'll start calling people on the waiting list. It's first come, first serve. And so if you sign up late, well, you're going to get called pretty late. Um, but sign up for the waiting list. It'll be a link below. It'll be the only link below. And uh, once you sign up for the waiting list, we'll be in contact with you shortly and we'll help you launch your first sales memoir to the world okay well uh i don't really know if i have anything else to say about that sounds like a cool process though right well this is uh dallas from memoir launch and i just explained to you the best way to profitably push your ideas out into the world in a form of mass movements so like i said if you're interested in that click the link uh here in the podcast notes in the description whatever you want to call it and man, I really, 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 uh, the business, you know, the mission of this business, there's a handicap, you know, on writers in the world. There's a huge gap between ID and text. And a lot of people are handicapped. They can't clear that gap. And it's the mission of this business to invent technology that erases that gap once and for all. So I want you to be part of this cause, man. I really look forward to speaking to you. I look forward to working with you. I look forward to like knocking this out of the park and welcoming the future with open arms so i'm not going to go on on and on but uh like i said if you're interested in being part of the beta if you're interested in being part of the future um click down below uh for the beta also the entire process of marketing your book um designing campaigns to actually launch that thing out to the world completely free by the way completely free 
And so click down in the bio below. It'll be a link down there. Uh, without further ado, you know I suck at closing things out. This is Dallas from Grand Design and from Memoir Launch. And I look forward to speaking with you and actually helping you get these ideas out, man. Peace.